Well, good morning. Welcome to Crosspoint. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we are in week three of our series called Bold, where we are walking through the life of Peter and some highlights and some lowlights of his life. And today we see both of those in one message. Uh, week one, Jesus looks at this man, Simon, and gives him the name Peter, meaning rock. And then about a year later, Jesus calls Peter and his brother Andrew, and you read in Mark 1 that Jesus tells them, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He puts this very bold calling on Peter's life. This mantle of leadership among the 12 disciples is put on to Peter. He's the leader of leaders, a first among equals, and that same bold calling that was given to them is given to every believer in Christ. Not just come follow me, not just love me or worship me, but he says by following me, you're going to learn from me. You're going to become more like Christ, which as a result, then we will be sent on mission in this world to go tell others the good news of Jesus Christ or fish for people, as Jesus says it to Peter. And Peter was an ordinary guy. He did not have a higher education, a huge background in quote unquote ministry. He was a fisherman by trade, a hardworking family man who was married, uh, was from a small town along the Sea of Galilee. He was often brash with his words and uh, humility didn't come naturally for him. He usually wanted it done his way or no way. But Jesus sees what this Simon could become and gives him the nickname Peter and begins this journey of taking him through experiences that transform and shape his character to look more and more like Christ. And Jesus is still doing that transformative work in our lives as well, taking us through experiences, not always good ones, and using those using those experiences, using His Word, using the Holy Spirit, using the community within the body of Christ, and using those, those ingredients to grow our faith in, in, our, in our love and devotion to Jesus. The Lord is still in the business of taking ordinary people and using them in extraordinary ways to accomplish His purposes in this world. And if you're here and you're thinking, well, God could never use me, or I pray that in this series that you're identifying with Peter and realizing that God can and wants to use you and wants to use anyone to help impact this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't discredit or think that God is too small or not powerful enough to step into your life and work through you to bring about gospel change not only in others' lives but yours as well. Last week we looked at the bold confession that Peter made in John 6 and Matthew 16 where he recognizes and boldly declares that Jesus was not simply a good man or a teacher or just another prophet, but he was the very Son of God, the Messiah, the one who was, has the words of life, who was sent by the Father to save us and rescue us from our sin. Jesus would be the one that would reveal the Father to us through his life. And so today we're fast-forwarding to the end of the Gospels, the end of Jesus' life here on this earth. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Luke, chapter 22. Uh, third book into the New Testament. If you don't own a Bible, I'd encourage you to get one at Guest Connections before you leave. No, no need for a DNA sample. No need to sign anything. No free t-shirts are given out. If you needed a good Bible, we encourage you to grab one and let that be our gift to you. Let's pray, and we'll keep uh, working. We have lots of ground to cover in one message, so let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would, um, you would be at work this morning that you would help me to teach well for your glory today. Help me communicate clearly what the gospel is and its truth today. Each of us, including me, we just, uh, we have open ears and hearts to hear from you today. 
I pray that the things that are distracting or hindering us right now, that uh, we would set those aside so we could fix our eyes on you. I pray that you would encourage and correct and rebuke and teach us uh, how you see fit today. We are open to it. We say, do it in our hearts and do it in our lives. And, uh, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, there are critical times in our lives when we either stand up for what we believe in or we cave into pressure. Where, where we either stand up uh, and stand firm in our faith, as the Bible would call it, or we shrink back from stepping out in faith or obeying the Lord. There are moments when we come face to face with our own sin or shortcomings. And in those moments, either turn and experience and receive the grace and forgiveness of Christ, or we continue to allow our hearts just to kind of drift from the things of God. Singular choices or decisions, even those that might seem small at the time, can leave lasting imprints on our lives. Uh, I've been there. I can remember some key moments in my life where I stood firm in my faith. And I can remember um, plenty of times when I didn't. I remember heading off to college, and during my freshman year, I went to school about two and a half hours away from here. Uh, it was the first weekend at, uh, at college. The parties were happening. My buddy and I were invited to join a couple of those, um, neither of which would have led to God-honoring environments. And by the grace of God, we walked away. I remember moments when God, through His grace, was trying to expose the sin in my life that I was trying to keep in the dark. The conversation would come up with my wife or with a friend, and in those moments, I would choose to lie or choose to uh, try to allow that sin to grow in the darkness, thinking I had the power on my own to resolve it. I remember uh, moments when we get a nudge from the Holy Spirit to give generously to someone in need or simply just to express our love to them or Christ's love to them, and sometimes we would uh, obey that nudge, and sometimes I would disregard it. I remember moments uh, working at my previous job where I was bold in sharing my faith, and if God would open the door, I, I would humbly step into that and talk about my faith in Christ and how that impacts my life, and I also remember more than enough times when I didn't share, and now I deeply regret those times because now I work in an environment with all Christians. It's like this prerequisite for people that work at church. They got to know Jesus. And now everybody knows Jesus around here and praise God that they do. All right. But I miss that. And many of you don't squander that opportunity to work in an environment, to be a light, to be salt and light to the people around you. I can remember times when I sinned greatly against my Lord, uh, when I knew what his commands were or what they said, and I chose to do life my way instead. And it's very humbling to think back on those times. Maybe you've got times like that that you can reflect on as well, whether it was last night or 10 months ago or 10 years ago or some other time, that decision that you knew wasn't what God wanted and you did it anyways. Or the pull of temptation just seemed too great and you fell to the scheme of the devil. Or that moment when someone asked you about your faith and you had this opportunity to stand firm in a way that it would honor God, but, but you shrunk back from it. For example, you... Well, now you're a Christian, right? You heard from a coworker or from a friend and, and you thought, well, if I step into this, they're going to ridicule me or they're going to ask me questions that I just don't know. I don't know my Bible well enough or I'm going to get labeled like that guy over there or that woman. And, and so you dodged the question and you left that conversation. And if you can relate to any of that, then you can relate well to Peter. See, Peter saw himself as the kind of man who stands firm of, oh, I'll never fall, I'll never fail you, Jesus. But he overestimated his commitment 
And today we'll look at one of those occasions. It's clearly one of the most pivotal moments in his faith and life where Peter, the close friend of Jesus, in the, in the hardest, most difficult time of Jesus' life, denied ever knowing him personally. And in that moment, Peter sins boldly against his Lord, brazenly, without shame, denies even knowing Jesus. Have you ever sinned boldly against the Lord? I mean that moment or time in your life where, where you're like, forget God and his ways. Forget it. I'm doing it my way instead. I don't care what the Bible says. I care more about what I think or what I want or need or desire. It could be the area of money, relationships, work, priorities, time, what happens in your private life. For example, I don't care if I lied or cheated on that business deal. I need to get what is mine. I know the Lord has a lot to say about money and me being generous and spending less than I earn, but, but I just believe money is mine and He has no business telling me what to do with it. I know the Lord calls me to avoid sexual immorality, but I just want to do what makes me happy. I know the, I know the Lord calls me to love because He first loved us and forgive because He, he has forgiven us, but... I'd just rather hold on to my bitter root and my pride. And if we're honest, many of us have experienced the pain or the consequences of those decisions or choices we've made. We've reaped what we've sown, as the Bible would call it. And in our lives, we have the brokenness, the hurt, guilt, shame, you name it, to show from it. And like I said earlier, I can relate to boldly sinning, disregarding, dishonoring what the Lord calls us to do and what He calls us to avoid. But if you notice, this message is not just about bold sin. It's also about bold restoration. It crossed my mind this last week to split these up, but I just couldn't because they they just go together. They have to go together in the same message. Because in this moment in Peter's life, we will witness him experiencing this incredible grace of God, the, the forgiveness of Christ, We will see him boldly sinning against Jesus in a very direct way. And we will see Jesus restore him to relationship. We will see the grace and the mercy and the love of our Savior on display. And I pray we will experience that today. That where we need to be reminded of this undeserved grace that we just sang about, where we need to be reminded of that, I pray that we will be reminded of that. See, the good news of Jesus Christ is that even when we fail... God is still at work in our lives. His grace is still being shown to us. We may sin boldly, but in humility, we can receive grace and be restored through Jesus. Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, was crucified on the cross to pay the price for our sin, rose again on the third day, was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses, ascended to heaven, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And one day is returning to judge the living and the dead. And the part of that story that we're looking at today is the lead up to Jesus' death and then when the resurrected Jesus encounters Peter. And we'll start looking at Peter's pledge. Um, All right, so the disciples, they've been following Jesus, learning from him. The end of his life is quickly approaching and we pick up the story in Luke 22. Jesus and the disciples are having the Last Supper uh, Christ has just given this new meaning to bread and wine and, and the, and the uh, practice of communion. And then you read in verse 24 that an argument broke out among the disciples about who was the greatest. The disciples had egos. In other words, they were human, just like you and me, because we have egos. I'm speaking 
from a firsthand eyewitness of myself. We have egos. And so what happens? Just like what can happen in us is that envy creeps in, jealousy of the limelight or the applause of the crowd. And in this moment, their egos are right in full display. And you can be sure that Peter was right in the mix, to, the mix of arguing his case of, well, well, yeah, you guys, well, I was one of the first here to get called by Jesus. And, well, remember, I used to be called Simon, but now he calls me Peter because he gave me this new name and I'm, I'm the rock and he made me the first among equals and I'm the leader of all you ragamuffin guys. I mean, you can hear this argument that he's stating. Now, keep in mind, this argument breaks out right after Jesus has washed their feet. An incredible demonstration of servanthood by the king of kings. He, he takes off his robe, which was signifying all the authority. He gets on his knees, washes their dirty, nasty, stanky feet. And within minutes, the disciples' pride is in full swing as they argue about who is all that. That sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? One moment being so humbled by the grace of God means that, that we've been shown through Christ. The next moment being led by our pride or self away from the things of God. One moment, all about loving others and putting others before ourselves, and the next, all about making sure we get ours and our needs are one. Our, our, our needs are met and our wants are met. And yet the grace of God is still at work in us, just like it was in the disciples, transforming them to be more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't always get it right the first, second, third, tenth, 30th time. I don't always get it right. And as a result, I'm thankful for his grace, especially as I look at a story like this. I'm sure the disciples were later on. So to this argument about who is all that, Jesus reminds them that greatness in the kingdom of God is not about lording authority over others. It's about serving. And then out of that scene, we read Luke 22, starting in verse 31. Simon, Simon, remember from week one, when Jesus calls Peter by his original name, Simon, it was like the signal to his heart that Simon or Peter was reflecting his old nature, his nature before Christ. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. So this is not just directed to Peter, but ultimately to all the disciples. Satan's goal was to destroy the faith of the disciples, to shake them in such a way where they would let go of their faith. And God is their source of strength. And 2,000 years later, the devil's goal has not changed. His mission statement is still the same. Steal, kill, and destroy. His goal is still, to call, is still to cause followers of Jesus to stop growing in their faith or stop following Christ. And another goal is to keep those who are not following Jesus yet from one day placing their trust and faith in him. And receiving this incredible gift of salvation because he, he wants to throw up all these excuses and all these things in the back of your mind. And some of you are there this morning about why you can't come to Jesus and why he doesn't love you anymore and why, 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 why. And the devil is at work in your life trying to draw you away. Or some of you know Christ and the devil is trying to hinder your growth in him and your devotion to him. But notice something. Satan had to ask. See, Satan is the father of lies or the prince or ruler of this world. So he has authority. Uh, he has power, and it's unleashed in this world right now. But Satan had to run his request through God. See, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, including the devils, that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
So if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a child of God, a God who is the greatest authority and power in this universe. And so, even in the midst of temptation or testing, we cling to the God who promises to never leave nor forsake and who is most definitely the authority over our spiritual enemy and any supposed scheme he may throw at us. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Once again, we have a great high priest who was tempted but was without sin, who is praying on behalf of his followers even today, and Jesus is here praying for Peter before the denial has even come. And Jesus is praying for you and me before that bold sin occurs, whether it's this week or whether it was six months ago, your high priest was interceding and praying on your behalf. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, I love that verse, but we're going to come back to that at the end. But Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. In John 13, we read that Peter said to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And when Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Mark 14 records Peter's pledge this way, even if all fall away, I will not. Even if I die with you, I will never disown you. You just imagine him beating his chest. If he had a jersey on, he would be showing his team colors and his team name. I'm the rock. So imagine the scene. Peter the rock declares before all the others. There's a, others are there with him. Jesus, I'll never deny you. Now you can imagine this moment led to some uh, frustration, some annoyance in the other disciples. Like when you were younger, and if you had siblings, there was one who always tried to shine brighter than the others. Like when you or another got into, tr- into trouble, They would declare about how great they are and how they had kept the law, so to speak. Or maybe that was you, even in a moment of honesty. You're that person and not your sibling. Your your parents would say, y'all need to clean up your room. And you would say, mine's already clean as you shined your halo just a little bit brighter. Spiritually speaking, that mindset gets us into great trouble, though. Where we, where we begin to declare our own righteousness because we supposedly keep the law or the commandments better than the guy next to us. And in those moments, we are more or less saying, we don't need Jesus. We don't need grace. We can earn our salvation. We can get right before God through our own efforts of keeping and honoring the law. To which Paul says, Galatians 3.21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For, for righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So our hope is in the cross alone, not in our effort. And how on the cross, Jesus took on all our self-righteousness, our pride and sin, and bore the weight of it. He died for it. And in exchange, we are given the righteousness of Christ through faith alone. Peter is making this grand pledge. I will never leave you. I would die for you. I'll never deny you. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Haughty, meaning to look laterally and say, well, I'm better than that guy 
or to look down on and say, why, don't you, why aren't you more like me? May I encourage you that the greatest way that you can share the gospel with another, greatest way you can be bold in your faith is to not always talk about how you win all the time, but actually talk about how you fail and the forgiveness and the grace and mercy and love that you've been shown as a result of it and how that causes you to want to grow to become more like Christ. I would say that's the greatest way to be bold in our faith, to actually talk about our bold shortcomings and the bold grace and mercy and forgiveness that we've received as a result of it. And so with that Proverbs 16, 18 truth, we move to the, to the next part of the story, Peter's denial. So in Luke 22, skip down to verse 54. Between uh, Peter's grand pledge and this, and this point, Peter continued to teach the disciples on various subjects, prayer, Holy Spirit, how to abide or remain in the vine, all subjects talked about in John 14 through 17. Then Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the very next thing in the timeline is Jesus is, is betrayed and arrested. And you read that account in verses 47 through 53. Then starting in verse 54, it says this, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. You read in other gospel accounts that another disciple, along with Peter, more than likely it was John, followed with with Peter. So these two longtime friends, Peter and John, longtime friends with one another and longtime friends with Jesus, they followed at a distance after his arrest. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him and seated, uh, saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Amid the confusion of Jesus' arrest and trial, Peter the, the rock denies ever knowing him. And he does it three times over, just like Jesus said he would. Peter was clearly afraid of or fearful of people's opinions or their rejection of him. Or maybe he was afraid that that he would be arrested as well and beaten. You're not quite sure. But bold Peter is now fearful Peter. The fear of man or the focus on self-preservation can do that. It elevates our desire for immediate safety, this acceptance. And in turn, it will shrink our view of our God. It can skew or impact our entire perspective and lead us to places or choices that we would never go had we taken a step back and gotten an accurate view of the situation. Peter was the one who made this bold confession in John 6 and Matthew 16 that that Jesus was not simply a man, but the God-man. Peter was the one who had seen miracles take place. His mother-in-law healed. Peter, the one who recognized and witnessed the divine power of Jesus over the course of three years. And we can find ourselves in the exact same kind of situation. Overcome with fear, worry, anxiety over the future, what others think, the hardships we're going through, the stress we're feeling at work, and and if left unchecked, it can lead us to do or not do things that we would never imagine us doing. Peter never imagined this was going to happen. 
He was fully intent on following the Lord. You get that in his pledge. And yet in the process, he had put too much confidence in his own flesh, in his own power. And we do the same thing. We face temptation without praying before, or even in the midst of it, Lord, lead me away from temptation. And we fall to the momentary temptation instead of fleeing from it. Or we face all the stress at work or or in the schedule. And so one of the first things to go is one-on-one time with the Lord. Or we isolate ourselves from doing life in the context of biblical community because we just don't feel like we have time for it. But then the curtain gets pulled back in our lives. The Lord uses circumstances or a believing friend or His Word, and our sin gets revealed by the Lord. Why? Because He loves us, and He desires for His children to, to walk and live in the light. Peter denied Jesus three times. The rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Verse 61, Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. There comes a time, a moment, where you come face to face with your own sin, your own pride, selfishness, complacency, your lack of love toward others, you name it. Can you imagine this moment? Peter saying, I don't know him. The rooster crows. Jesus locks eyes with Peter. The words that Jesus had spoken to Peter about earlier come rushing back to his memory and Peter's heart is suddenly exposed. And in, the, in that moment, you just imagine all the past experiences come flooding back to Peter's memory. All the grace he'd been given, all the words of life and truth he'd heard. Peter's own words ringing in his head. We believe and know that Jesus, you are the Holy One of God. And Peter's heart is absolutely broken. He wept bitterly. And we've got to step into this and identify with Peter in this moment. How our own lives identify with his. Not just, not just the life down the road from you. Not the life that you, oh, they need to hear this message. Your life and my life. Have you ever wept over your own sin? I have a handful of times. Primarily when my sin was not just against my Heavenly Father, but against my wife and or against my children. And I saw the pain or hurt that I had caused. Uh, that because of my sin, a uh, relationship was broken or uh, hurt as a result. Um, there should be sorrow when we sin. There should be brokenness. Sometimes, let's be honest, we are more upset that we got caught in our sin versus that our sin hurt the heart of our Savior. And in community group this week, you're going to look at 2 Corinthians 7.10, which talks about the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is that we got busted or we got caught. Someone called us on it. We got a ticket. We were given a fine, so to speak, and there are worldly consequences to that sin. The business deal went bad because our own lie got revealed. And so we're not broken about us lying. We're just ticked off because we lost the deal. Or we sinned against our spouse and and we're honked off because we got caught or, or we got called on it and now it's going to be a cold night in the home. Not that we've dishonored God's command to love our spouse, place their needs before our own. See, there's a big, big difference. Godly sorrow recognizes that our sin and junk and pride was part of the sin that Jesus died for that we contributed to his death on a cross. And this is where Peter's at. 
He's not weeping that Jesus caught him, that Jesus locked eyes with him and, oh, I caught you betraying. He's not weeping about that. He's weeping that he hurt his best friend, that he has denied even knowing his great friend, this one who had given him the name Peter in the first place, the one who was his Lord and his Savior. Peter's betrayal of Jesus was dramatic and devastating. He had come face to face with his failure. His confidence that he will be completely faithful was proven unfounded and unstable. And praise God, the story doesn't stop there. Because this is what I couldn't do this week. I just couldn't stop there. Because this is where grace enters in. Because now we're going to look at Peter's restoration. And this is my favorite part of the message, the favorite part of the story. For that matter, the favorite part of the message of the gospel. This is like the part of the story that Peter never saw coming. When he went outside and was broken about his sin, he never realized the Lord was still at work in his life, even in those moments, even in his failure. And may I encourage us as well that the Lord is continually working in your life. When you and I are sinning against God, when there's this delayed obedience in some area where we have our arms crossed saying, I don't want to, and when there's something in our heart that says that, even in those moments where we have boldly sinned against our Creator, the Lord's grace is still at work in our, in our lives. Sometimes we just flat miss it. And I pray that today we just kind of get exposed again to it. Some of you have no idea what the Lord can and wants to do in your life. You think the situation is hopeless, that grace is gone, that restoration is impossible. Maybe you've even been told that by another believer, that you've run too far, that there's no turning back, that it's too late, that God's love has run out on you. And I can tell you, through looking at the life of Peter, that you are dead wrong. That God always has the final say. And if you're a believer in Christ, that he's faithful to complete the work he has begun in you. And if you're not a believer in Jesus yet, that he is most definitely at work in you, reminding you, even today, of his great love for you and his plan of salvation. Here are three instances in Scripture where we get a glimpse of the mercy of Jesus being shown toward Peter following his his denial. First one, Jesus has been killed, and then it's Easter morning. Three women arrive at the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, assuming it's still in there. The angel tells them Jesus has risen and then gives them this instruction, Mark 16, 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Not just go tell the disciples, but, but he says Peter specifically. Now that is personal. Make sure you tell the one who denied me, who sinned against me, who I locked eyes with, especially tell him. See, if someone betrayed us, that would not be our first reaction, would it? It would not be mine. I would say, go tell the ten, but not that guy. But thankfully, God is not made in our image. Thank you, Jesus. We are made in his image. And so we, when we flip-flop that, we lose sight of the true gospel. Then Peter is apparently the first disciple Jesus appears to after the resurrection, and it happens alone. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 15, 5, that Jesus rose from the dead, that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. So Jesus gets one-on-one with Peter. Now that is personal. Once again, grace being extended to Peter. 
Now, uh, turn to uh, John 21, if you've got a Bible in front of you. Jesus appears to the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, the same shore where he gave them this bold calling of, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And now you fast forward to the, to the end here. John 21, verse 15. It says this, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asked him to affirm his love and devotion to him, one for each denial. And Peter takes advantage of this opportunity to counter each of those denials with now a bold, consistent confession of love, commitment, and loyalty. He was not just forgiven, not just made right, but he was fully restored. The relationship was now stronger than ever. Peter's love for Jesus, only stronger. And Jesus keeps charging Peter with this call to serve and feed others. Peter will become a, a shepherd, a leader in the early church, So Peter, demonstrate you love me by serving others. Now, going back to Luke 22 to finish up here, because Jesus told Peter something very similar in that passage that we kind of glanced over. And keep in mind, this is prior to the denial. This is when Peter's pledging his his amazing faith and his, his amazing commitment to Jesus. Luke 22, 32, For I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew Peter would deny him and sin. And I love this. When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. It's the same message given before the denial and now after. Jesus knows we will fail him. That we will come up short of his glory this side of heaven. But he knows Peter will turn back. And he invites us to do the same, to turn back, to turn around, to come back home because we have a God who loves the comeback. We have a God who loves the comeback because his grace is unending. It's not over. Whatever you think is over, it's not over. God has not had the final say. Maybe like Peter, in your past, you've declared that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, that he's the Son of God, the the source of all life, your Savior, your Lord. You've made this bold pledge in your life. But in a moment of confusion or entanglement of sin or darkness of your heart, giving way to temptation or maybe just the grind of life, maybe just apathy, your heart's grown cold to the things of God, you feel like you've drifted from him, in some way sinned boldly against him whether it's just being passive and apathetic or just kind of running the other direction away from him. I want to remind you that the story doesn't stop there. You found yourself this morning after uh, taking stock of your heart, your way of life, the Holy Spirit's convicted your heart that you need to turn back toward him, that his grace is sufficient, that he loves you. He's crazy about you. And he invites you and me to, yes, be broken about our sin, but don't sit in a hole. Don't sit away from biblical community, but be restored to relationship with our Savior. Be restored to fellowship with Him and with one another in the body of Christ. He continually invites us 
to come back, to turn back. Restoration is a beautiful, beautiful gospel moment. I've experienced it before with the Lord. I've experienced it before in my family where the sin is wiped out by the blood of Christ. We are shown undeserved grace through the cross because our God is rich in mercy and love, Ephesians 2.4. And my hope is that in looking at Peter's life in these moments, we are reminded that bold restoration is possible because of the cross, because of Christ. We are reminded, I pray today, of his unfailing, amazing grace. And we see it on display in these scriptures. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you that we can be restored because of your grace. Thank you that all things are possible because of you. Where we need to be convicted of our sin, convict us, Lord. And not a worldly sorrow, but a godly one. Where we are puffed up with spiritual pride like Peter, give us humility. Teach us humility. Where we believe that the sin, the brokenness is just too bold or too great, remind us of the cross and how you died for all of it. Remind us of the bold restoration possible through you and you alone. Where we are clean, holding on to things that we need to let go of, I pray that we would let go of today. I pray that we at Crosspoint would be a people of grace, always believing and praying for restoration to happen. Thank you for the restoration that's happening around here already as I think of families and individuals where your work is at work. And we give you all the glory for that, all the credit. I pray that you would work in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So my my action steps this week is to do what Peter did. He talked to Jesus. He prayed. He talked to Jesus face to face, but we are to, to work through whatever God has put on your heart through prayer and through community. See, Peter wasn't just the disciple that went off on his own. He stayed in community, in the messiness of that. So through prayer and through community, those are my action steps for you to work through this. If you want to talk, if you want to pray about anything, feel free to see, see somebody before you leave. Next week, we start with the message first and finish with worship. A.K.A., please be here on time. All right? Have a good week. Meet somebody new before you leave. God bless.